Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And we're actually both in the studio tonight. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? No promises for next week. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, what a week it has been. So, <laughs> uh, it's good to see everybody. Those of you who are brand new to the channel, um, who, those of you who have found us over the last week, welcome. Those of you who are not new, welcome back. We're glad that everybody's here. Uh, it's good to see Cam and, and McKenna there in the chat. Um, so, you can contribute to the conversation tonight, which is going to be about radio shows. We're going to take a little bit different topic tonight because it's, how did, how did we get on? Last week, something got mentioned and I want to say it was something about the Star Wars radio show. Probably. And so we got to talking afterwards and we thought, you know, that would be a rather interesting topic to go back through and look at the the early days of science fiction because radio shows being what they were. Yeah, and I think one thing is that, that while the podcast has become a really, really huge thing, and when podcasts, when fiction podcasts, again... Not our podcast. Our podcast is not a huge thing our, yet. Our, but Our podcast is a giant <laughs> thing. We are, we are <laughs> giants astride the landscape. Um, the... The, the emergence of fiction podcasts, um, because there were certainly uh, nonfiction radio shows that were, that were around. You had, you had talk radio and things like that, but there were also documentary things that would pop up. Uh, NPR would do documentary stuff from time to time. And, um, but there was this gap in between, you want to say, um, late 80s? Probably late 80s into, like, the early 2000s. Yeah, I'd say it probably went back a little bit earlier than that. But, yeah, I, I would say that's... At least a 20-year period that's where, the good range. where fiction on radio, just or fiction on broadcast yeah. fiction, yeah. audio fiction, just disappeared. There were audiobooks and things like that. But a lot of audiobooks were, um, you know, there were certainly some very, very dynamic readings, but you wouldn't get full-cast audio and things like that. Right. Um... But the podcast, the explosion of the podcast uh, for fiction with things like, well, well, Welcome to Night Vale really was, you know, blazed a path for a lot of a lot of genre fiction coming back to audio format. And for a time, it made sense, I think, to a lot of people that, of course, everything was video. We could do video now. We can, you know, you've had you had web series and things like that where you right. you get a lot of genre stuff through web series. And and funnily enough. That didn't get as much traction as people were expecting it to. Well, I think part of that problem lies in the fact that producing content for video on a regular basis Mm. is extremely time-consuming and extremely expensive after a while. Yes. You look at some of the big uh, uh, video genre shows in in more the horror sphere, the Slender Man web series. Um, um, there were two or three of them. And they were really influential in the early days of YouTube and things like that, where, where the ex- creator explosion was happening. Right. 
But the problem is, is that after a while, you have to keep putting out content. And after a while, if, especially if you don't have a lot of money, um, like us, you end up having to do, you know, you would, and, and some folks have done quite well. Some of those, some of those shows ran for several years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But producing new content on a regular basis, the kind of thing where you can uh, uh, put out a season of something yearly is hard. It's a real challenge. Well, and the other part of that is figuring out what a season is for a podcast because for some people it's 10 episodes, it's 15 episodes, it's 35 episodes. You know, we do however many we do in a year and then we take off six months or whatever. And and it's there is no standard. Right. You some, some some podcasts come out on a weekly basis, some come out on a bi-weekly, monthly, bi-monthly. Um, Girl in Space podcast, which is one of the more highly produced um, full cast podcasts, has a very erratic schedule because it's one person essentially doing all of it. She's mm-hmm. got a cast of people who do the other voices, but in terms of production, that's largely her. Um, something like the Magnus Archives, which just wrapped up its five-year run with almost weekly, almost every week. Yeah. But they they plotted out those five years at the very beginning. And things shifted as they went along just because of the realities of the world. You mean they had a plan? They had a serious plan. Even though COVID, when COVID came along and completely derailed what they intended to do between their for the tail end of their fourth season and the beginning of their fifth season, um, they were able to adjust and they, the, the guy who produces it, um, basically, he, he wiped out the entire supply of a microphone in the UK because they had found a microphone they worked really, really well for recording and he, they, everybody loved using those microphones. So he's like, everyone's going to be working from home. I have to get all those microphones. And so he got <laughs> microphones for all of his cast. Turns out they were the only, that was the complete supply of what the UK had. So for like a month, he that microphone was off the market because wow. nobody had, because people hadn't expected things to happen like that. Sure. So they adjusted and think, did things like that. But but something like Marble Hornets, which was one of the great um, early day uh, video Slenderman series, hugely influential, like I said, um, it um, became, it, it eventually became a thing that um, was not sustainable. And, and with podcasts, you can do, because you, maybe, you, maybe it's something like you and me sitting here talking about something. Or if you're doing a, a, a drama podcast, you can uh, get a handful of your friends. If you know actors, you can get in. You, know, you can start off, and a lot of really fantastic podcasts have started off with people with a microphone underneath a blanket to muffle the sound. <laughs> right. And you know what? It works. And you can do that. You can actually do a drama podcast. The trick is to get a good script and to get a good, good actors. Yeah. But that explosion of things like Welcome to Night Vale, in the modern sense, is relatively new. And so you look at the fact that science fiction, fantasy, and horror have been on, have been, there have been audio versions of those things for as long as there has been somebody producing audio drama. Mm-hmm. And that weird bit, Video Killed the Radio Star. You know, right, right. This idea that we would not be, we're not just going to listen to this stuff. Why would we do that? Yeah. Well, and I, I remember 
when we first started doing podcasts just in general here, yeah. one of the things that I ran into, and I don't know why I had such a hang-up on this, but for the, for the longest time, I could not wrap my head around the idea of a podcast because I'm sitting there thinking, what, what, who, who does this? What is this kind of thing? And for whatever reason, I don't know what happened. You weren't the only one. There was a, there was, there was a, there was a, a, the early days of podcasting, there were a lot of people who felt that way. Yeah, but at, at some point, it hit me. This is radio that you download. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happened, the whole thing clicked. I went, ah, aha. Because I started in radio back in college. And yeah. I was like, well, okay, I can wrap my head around this. It's just a different form of broadcast. Right. And, and I think there really was a generational thing because the podcast, I did not get into as, as much as I consume in terms of podcasts now and audiobooks and things like that. A lot of that came out of the job I had where I was right. driving, driving all the time. All, you know, eight hours a day for four years. Um, but my kid uh, was like, have you heard Welcome to Night Vale? And I'm like, What's welcome to Night Vale? Right. My my, my kid's eyes were like gigantic. He's like, "Oh, you you sweet summer child! Let me let me show you what this." um." Uh, Well, and I heard, uh, I found out about Welcome to Night Vale. Um, How how did I find out about it? Was was it you, Mindy, who was telling me, or because I remember three. Uh, I remember when you ca- when they came to Lawrence, Kansas, mm-hmm. and there were people out there for that. And I it think, was insane. yeah, and uh, Anna Lee was mm. really talking about it. And I think um, uh, uh, Bree, who was our first host for Salacious Crumbs, I think she was talking about it. And I don't know if I'd met you yet. I know because I I remember I went to that show in Lawrence and um, I would have liked that to was that. they're going to well, be back. They're going next back June. on tour. I know. I know. Um, in June they'll be back in Lawrence and that was actually supposed to be my second time seeing him because I was supposed to see him in Denver or, uh, before, but we saw him there and I know that I've talked with you about it because given the logic behind. The town and how everything works there, which is not logical. When I, when I, the first time I listened to Nightville was on a road trip from here down to Dallas, and we binged the entire thing, uh, me and a few friends. And for all of us who all work at the same place, we're like, this makes complete total logical sense. <laughs> <laughs> and since you guys know my job, yeah. you can understand this does make complete total logical sense. Right. Well, the in- I, I would internal say- logic for Welcome to Night Vale. It's just not the external logic. Right. Well, yeah, and I think the other thing sense, too <laughs> is the the environment in the Night Vale scenario probably would apply to a number of different corporate drone uh, circumstances. One one thing that I've noticed with a lot of of the podcasts that I have listened to is that if you listen to like the the making of, you know, season review kind of things, you'll do a QA and a with the the creators or or they'll talk about the production for the season. A lot of them have had soul-crushing jobs where they're just like, or, or the kind of job that's incredibly easy 
Yeah. But just dull. Mind-numbing. And so they had the opportunity to have their imaginations go over here and do this. And, um, you know, this gave them the inspiration, you know, because it was awful, because it was dull, because it allowed them to, their brain to fire uh, on all cylinders for a while without having to devote too much of it to the job. They were able to come up with these creative ideas, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, <clears throat> it turns out there's a, The Office, uh, the, uh, the comedy film from, God, how many years ago now, um, was a lot more documentary than comedy. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those of you who have ever been in that, in that environment, so, or, or in retail. Well, and I think, too, you go back, because um, one of the things uh, that I had done, because James had this idea when he was five, and he said, um, let's make a new Star Trek. And we had this idea, and we, we gelled it out and, and wrote the script and, and all of that. And in order to make the pitch, because the idea was let's pitch this so we could get money and we can actually make this thing and be a real thing, uh, what I did is I assembled a full cast, and we recorded all of the dialogue for the entire. It was a. It was going to be done as a ten-episode serial, very much like you know Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, that sort of sure. thing. And so we recorded all of the dialogue, and I went back through and started uh, making animatics mm. using all of my Star Wars action figures, and I figured, out, okay, this person is this person, this person, this person. And I think I think I got into the middle of chapter three, maybe. Uh, one thing that you can definitely um, find of all this, some of the classic radio I'm going to mention tonight, and sort of Jason will as well. It's available online. There, the internet is has its uses it's got a lot of things that you can complain about but it definitely does have the advantage of if you want to find something like old-time classic radio uh, whether it's comedy or or science fiction or horror and that stuff mystery um, it's out there people have been archiving this stuff for you know because and part of it is because radio they thought radio was going to go away I mean, it was this idea that you were going to lose all this, uh, you know, people just weren't going to listen to this stuff anymore. People weren't making this stuff anymore. And the idea that it could be, you know, gone, you know, uh, people started, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just folks who, who remembered it or experienced it live the first time. There were a lot of folks who, you know, they had been exposed to it when they were kids. I mean, like so many, uh, and I've mentioned this before on the show, that a lot of how I got into science fiction, fantasy, and horror was my dad's collection of pulp novels and watching, you know, uh, films with him, uh, science fiction films on Saturday and Creature Features on Sunday. It was the same thing with radio because, you know, he would sit there and whether he had, um, he had some reel-to-reel stuff. Oh, stuff my. Reel -reel. Yeah. And, and cassettes and things like that, but... He got me into shows like The Shadow mm -hmm. and, and Lights Out, and, and then of course when it was when I was uh, um, what year did the the Star Wars radio show came out? What year? It came out in 
then. Seventy-eight? Seventy-nine? Let me see, because I was have a couple years. I have. Mm -hmm. This is, if we can pop over to the close-up so people can see this a little bit more, this is the wrong wrong close-up. <laughs> there we go. There we go. This is the original cassettes mm -hmm. uh, of the Star Wars radio play that was produced by NPR, National now this, Public Radio. This would essentially, this would be the equivalent of a podcast now. Right. This says copyright 1993. No. I don't remember it coming out that late. No, because I was listening to that with my folks at my old house in, so it was while I was still in junior high, or it would maybe younger. Um, oh, okay. It says it it brought first broadcast on National Public Radio in 1981. There we go. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I was 11. Yeah. So this this must be well, they went back through after. Let's see, 93. That would have been around the time of the prequels starting to come out. No, 93, that was, uh, that was right after college for me, so. Right before Jurassic Park. Okay, so they'd been out for a while then. Yeah, they'd been out for a while. Because I've got that one, I've got, I've got this, I've got the audio of Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. I don't have The Empire Strikes Back. I need to put that on my list of things that I need to get, because Mark Hamill reprises his role as Luke Skywalker in all three. And Anthony Daniels mm -hmm. is um, is C-3PO. Um, no, I take that back. Mark Hamill is not Luke Skywalker in Jedi. Oh. Uh, he, he was Luke Skywalker in Star Wars at the Empire Strikes Back, and then somebody else is doing it. But it's really weird to hear John Lithgow as Yoda... Because it's it's a I as 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 much as I respect Lithgow as a as an as an actor, his Yoda is much more Minch Yoda as opposed to Yoda Yoda. It's a little bit more I don't want to say whiny, but um, it, it, there's a little bit more Skeksis in it. Mm. Than, than you would get from Frank Oz or, or from Tom. It's always really interesting having somebody else voice a, a character that you're familiar with that sound. The, the Big Finish has been doing a lot of Doctor Who audio for quite a long time, and they've got actors who are playing some of the parts of characters. You know, the original Doctors, those actors, and some of them have passed away. So right. you, know, you might have somebody... And while we've got, uh, you know... Bradley? Doug Bradley? No, not Doug Bradley. What's his name? The guy who plays, uh, he's on the first He's on the first Doctor yeah. now, yeah. We're, we've, we've, he's done it enough times that we're, we're on board with him playing the part. We haven't had, really had somebody do that with the second Doctor, although we've had so, uh, Patrick Troughton's son played him in Adventures in Space and Time. We haven't had, and, and we have yet to get Sean Pertwee in, a, in, in the proper <laughs> white, white wig. Damn I it, know, Sean. Right? We want, you know, we, you know people would go nuts. You know, and I totally get him 
not wanting to do it and the reasons why oh, because sure. he's like you know I just don't want to end up aping right, you know the, exactly. the role but at the same time you have enough people and he's got enough acting experience under his belt oh. on his own and yeah. he's a very talented performer I don't think that he would do the copycat performance no, I think no. I think he'd make it his own but you know he's He's, he's his son. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the third doctor's son. So it's not that much of a stretch because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm watching Gotham before I abandon it. And the, the, one of the main reasons I'm watching Gotham is because Sean Pertwee is playing Alfred. And his delivery and his style and some of his facial expressions, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, I see his dad. Oh, sure. So it wouldn't be that hard for him to just step into the role and play the third doctor without playing his dad as the third doctor. Right, but we, yeah, you're, you're completely right. The reasons that he doesn't do it are very understandable. Wait, okay, say say that again. I'm, I'm you were, completely you were, you were completely right, right about Sean Pertwee. <laughs> that's as far as it goes. Um, but the... the every, are, every chance that I get any kind of acknowledgement of being right is, you know, it's, you know, it's I, dopamine I, hit. I know the feeling. <laughs> so the... But there are... There are, there are Voice actors who are doing really phenomenal jobs of capturing, you know, if not the exact voice, but the rhythm or the inflection mm. of some of the other these actors. Um, Elizabeth Sladen's daughter is playing Sarah Jane now. Right, you've got a you've got a, a really fine actor whose name eludes me at the moment because I didn't, I should have written this down if I was going to talk about it, but who does both a really really fine Anthony Ainley and Roger Delgado. The voices are not identical to the actors but you can hear the pauses the gets the, right yeah, the rhythm and, and yes, you're like, yeah. okay and that and that little bit of that tone that for Anthony Ainley you can hear that smile mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and you know the arched eyebrow of Roger Delgado almost is you, know, you can almost visualize it when on certain lines and so he, he does a good job capturing that and there's a um, there's there there are people who've done who are doing the second doctor, third doctor, um, and then there's um, the war doctor audios, again trying to right. not not imitate John Hurt but capture. Well, now that he did field. a few. He did a few he died. before he passed away. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, not a podcast or a radio play or anything, but in terms of uh, voice and performance and stuff. You look at what Christopher Doohan did as Scotty in Star Trek Continues, mm-hmm. and I would think, okay, if they ever did a Star Trek radio adaptation, for example, mm-hmm. you could have Chris Doohan come in and play Scotty. You know, I I find his Scotty to be more authentic than Simon Pegg's Scotty. Simon Pegg, in many ways, Simon Pegg's casting is... A little bit. I'm a fan who gets to play the character, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But no, he. I mean, he's he he's capturing. I think I think Peg does a pretty good job of capturing Scotty in broad strokes. He gets the attitude right, and I think for the that, most that's part. A plus. And you know, yeah. for for whatever for, for whatever complaints you might have of the of the the modern Star Trek movies, it's not the cast's fault. The cast all do, uh, they're, and some of them are, some of them I think are cast extremely well, 
um, with the exception of, of Benedict Cumberbatch, who is quite <laughs> frankly an amazing actor and is not Khan. Yeah, I yeah. In fact, uh, there's there's there should be his bio, his autobiography is I am not Khan. I am not Khan. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when I was, mm, I want to say maybe ten. Uh, summer. I got conjunctivitis in both eyes, and you know you go to the doctor and you know it's all swollen and mattering. It's all this mess and whatever. You're having to take these drops and whatnot because you've got this massive infection in your eyes. And we never did figure out how I got it because it was summer. I was home, but uh, one. I well, I guess so because since I couldn't, I couldn't keep my eyes open. I was told you have to keep your eyes closed. Put the drops in it. Put the compress over your eyes. Right. Keep it closed. So because of that, I couldn't play my video games. I couldn't play my Atari. I couldn't watch television. You know, I couldn't. I, I couldn't do anything. I sat on the couch all day and just vegetated. So my dad went to the library and checked out a bunch of old radio plays. One of them was Suspense. Mm -hmm. um, and I will, I will never forget because it was a, a six-sided cassette set and it was called The Thing That Cries in the Night and Tony Randall was in the cast. Mm -hmm. And I remember somehow I got one of the tapes flipped. Mm -hmm. So it... I'm, I'm about halfway through it. I'm thinking, wait, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense now. Something suddenly has gone wrong. And I looked, and sure enough, I'd had the wrong, t the wrong side, and it went in. But that's my first experience, my first encounter with radio plays, and you know all of the different things that you could do with audio. And I think that that might have been a piece of the bug that bit me for radio later. Because I understood, well, here's all this stuff that you could do with it, with the soundscape and the, you know, the sound effects and the music and all of this other stuff. And then one of the unfortunate thing is, is that back then, um, I don't know how your parents, your, your family's setup was, but we had a really nice stereo. I had a mom and a dad. <laughs> oh, not that setup. No, that's okay. okay. Um, but you had a really nice stereo, but you were, you know, your speakers were like this far apart. Mm -hmm. Right. And... You could get fairly close and kind of get stereo, really. I mean, you weren't getting surround sound. Right. Whereas now you got put in a couple of headphones and and. Um, but a lot of those productions weren't done in stereo to right, begin but with. But now you have this sort of amazing with a lot of these. When you, again going into the the modern version of these with, with these podcast dramas, you a part of recognizing their love of what you could do with audio mm. is building these giant soundscapes yeah. uh, that unfortunately you couldn't always do, but they have some remarkable things for trying to, I mean, you know, sound would move across and, and for when they did do stereo, but it was a lot of mono. Um, but still, I mean, you had this, you, uh, you know, it's always fun watching, you know, the old some of this stuff being done live, where you would you would do the sound effects live, or because mm. in a lot of ways, a lot of these radio dramas in the early days, and actually for quite a while, were recorded live in front of a, you know they had an audience, right, right, and just like you had a studio audience for television, you know, Three's Company is filmed live before a studio audience, 
Um, there's you'd you have these really great. Uh, there's a movie that George Lucas produced, Radio Land Murders, yeah, uh -huh. where you could see a little bit of that. Uh, but also, you have Alien Voices, yeah. which, if if you have not seen those productions, I highly recommend them. They did, I think, six or eight of them. Leonard Nimoy and John DeLancey partnered up with this thing, and they got with the Sci-Fi Channel and a bunch of Star Trek alumni and other people. And it was exactly that. It was in, a, in, a, in an auditorium on stage, and you had the actors. They're holding their scripts in front of them. They're standing at their microphones. They're performing with their voices. Mm -hmm. And you have the special sound effects crew over here and the musical team back over here. And it was produced exactly the way they used to do back in the, mm -hmm. back in the 30s. And I remember seeing this and thinking, oh, we could do that. <laughs> and that was before we did all of this. That was before we were doing this. But um, we did a thing uh, when uh, when I was living up north before my kids were born. We were part of a theater company, and um, we adapted the Lone Ranger mm -hmm. to do exactly that same way. You know, live up on stage. We had the sound effects over here, and and, and our music was on tape. But we did it the same way that the Lone Ranger, the, the TV show did. We, we'd take recordings of classical music, mm -hmm. and we'd figure out the music cues and where it comes up and down and the other. And uh, I don't have any way of showing this, but the, the, the microphone board that we used is that, is that really old one that's up there on the, oh, okay, on the sure. thing. Not the little one, but the right. other one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is probably some kind of a production board from a radio station out of... I don't know, out of the 60s or 70s, that thing. I mean, big, big potentiometer knobs and switches and whatnot. But I, you know, I rigged it up so you could get speakers to it and, and whatnot. And we did that. And we got, I think I've told this story before, I don't know. I, we, I, it took me a while to track down who owned it. Mm. Because, you know, The Lone Ranger is not in production. It's in reruns and series sure. and that. So I, contact, I, I found that the people who were the people who were in charge of the rights was Broadway Video. And Broadway Video was Lorne Michaels. Mm. Saturday Night Live, Lorne Michaels. Sure. So I contacted him. I said, you know, we've got this, we've got this nonprofit theater company. We don't have any money. We, this is what we want to do. It was for the Trails West Festival up north of St. Joe. And uh, they sent me the first five shooting scripts. They sent me copies of the first five shooting scripts. And not only were they the shooting scripts, but they were copies of the actual shooting scripts with notes, notes and it. everything in the margins. And I thought, oh, this is cool because <laughs> this is, you know, this is a piece of history here. Now, sure. it wasn't the originals, but we were able to take that. And then I took the radio show that I had on tape mm -hmm. and we m married the, the, ta the, the radio and the TV show right. together into this thing that we did on stage. And we've talked for a number of years here about doing something like that because one of the other things we adapted was The Wizard of Oz, mm -hmm. 
which is a fantasy. It's, it's, it's in our wheelhouse. We could do that. And I know Kendall had said that he'd be interested in doing something like that. Sure. But, you know, you get into that full cast audio, that's a lot of work. It is. It is a, it is a challenge to, to put all those pieces together because there's, there's a level of, qual- level of quality you want to have displayed in that and you, so you want to produce it well and of course you get your talented friends and acquaintances around you to help and you want to make them sound as good as you can possibly make them sure yes um, but yeah it's it, it's just as complicated as making a, making a short film uh, it might be less expensive to some degree but it's I think you'll find that, that the majority of the very successful modern podcasts are paying mm-hmm. their their casts and crew maybe not a lot I, I, well, I wish about, I wish about, we could. I'm talking about drama, dramas. Yeah. Well, sure. Know, because they're and a lot of them do start off with not, but yeah, of course they do the crowdfunding and, and as, that sort of thing. As success as, as they get some success, there I do that. need to apologize to everybody that's been in the chat because somehow it was not popping up on oh, my device well, over here. And there's this nice little conversation going on over here, and I'm going to completely unaware of it. Um, Cam, yes, Cam113, it was here before the controversy, and yes, McKenna, there was controversy, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. <laughs> so, um, let's see here. Uh, Cam says, I love Dimension X-1, mm-hmm. Jack Benny, Dragnet, Johnny Dollar. Uh, Mazurus gives us a Three Stooges introduction. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Camp says, in grade school, a teacher played us old horror radio plays, much scarier. Oh, yeah. Um, I have I have some horror recommendations, by the way. Uh, McKenna says, there. I will never be able to forget Slender Man. And it's hard to produce new content when everyone is producing new content. Space Patrol. Um, War of the Worlds. Yes. I can... Yeah, McKenna says, imagine if there had been video for that first broadcast for War of the Worlds. So... 1938, Halloween. And that's one of the things, I mean, we, we all think about things like Orson Welles, and of course, Orson Welles, amazing actor, you know, director, all these things, but he was far from the only person who was appearing on these radio shows. You were getting Joan Collins and Cary Grant, um... Uh, well, actually, pick pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Laurie was doing you know mystery shows. Uh, Danny Kaye was doing comedy stuff. You know, Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire. All of these folks were appearing on radio. Um, you get you know a lot. So many of the great comedy albums that we're familiar with from that time period, from fifties and sixties, were actually radio productions. Right, you had Ozzy and Harriet, you had Abbott and Costello, Burns and Allen. Yeah, and and that and a lot of that a lot of that comedy becomes you know, comedy can very easily become dated. Sure, uh, but a lot of it still holds up, and it was stuff that was broadcast over the radio. But you get into things like um, you know your your radio dramas for for science fiction horror, and, and you had fantasy, but it was more. Fantasy is a little harder to do, I think. You would have fantasy episodes audio. of shows. So yeah. for like Lights Out, you might have more of a fantasy, spooky fantasy story. Or mm-hmm. if you've got, you know, um, you know uh, um, 
Night Gallery. You might, you know, there'd be fantastic elements, but it would, you'd, you were getting more mystery, horror, and science fiction. And even the horror was closer to more thriller. You weren't necessarily getting, you know, the, the modern take on horror with, like, you know, the Friday 13th films or the Halloween movies or the Saw films, that kind of stuff was not coming out on horror Right, radio. horror radio was more uh, suspense. Excuse me. Hitchcock. Well, and, and, and morality and, revenge tales. Yeah. Lots of morality yeah. revenge tales. Uh, McKenna says, had a teacher in high school... Uh, to, uh, blind here, had a teacher in high school that was well known for making you fall in love with the classics as far as film and radio went. You couldn't write anything without citing Hitchcock in her class. <laughs> um, Mazur says, I had a teacher in elementary school that was a master at verbal storytelling of children's horror stories. He's still well known for it. Well, and the other thing, too, that was that was another thing that, would, that came out of my listening to all of those radio plays in the summer of that one year, is because the next year... Uh, sixth grade in my reading class, one of the things that we did was we went through and we read a radio play. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was. And I have been looking for it ever since. All I know, what I remember, and I could be remembering this incorrectly, but it was, if I remember it right, it was produced by uh, Mercury Theater on the Air, CBS. That was, you know, Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. And we read this play over, over a period of two days. And the story follows an alien who drops into Earth, and he's looking around. He's like, hi, how are you doing, whatever, and da, 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 right? I can't remember the details of it. And I can't remember the title of it. And I go through the entire repertoire of anything that I can find as a list for Mercury Theater on the Air, and I can't find anything mm. that bears any resemblance right. to it. So I haven't been able to find this thing. But um, one of the things that we did is everybody took a part, you know, because you have the radio. The radio show is in the in the reading book, and everybody's reading it, right? Well, the first the first day, I played the alien. Well, having done all of you know, listened to all of this radio stuff and the thing, I thought, well, okay, well, I'll just I'll just play with it. So I did a British accent, ish, you know, a British ish accent, and heads popped up, yeah. and they're like, what, what? And there was a little bit of a just kind of a ripple of reaction, but not enough that it derailed anything. And everybody was like, okay, I can get into this, right? And so we get into the next day, and everybody's rotating parts, but they all want me to keep reading the alien because of what I did before. And I'm like, well, you know, this is this is radio was, I guess, already there in in the back of my head for all of this stuff. But I would love to be able to do full cast productions. I even talked to John Delancey about it at one mm -hmm. point when I interviewed him down in Dallas. Uh, I said, "What would it take to do a, you know, to get alien voices going again? Because you know, there's a lot of people that would that would just love to do it." And he said, "I'd love to do it again, you know, but the reason that they stopped."
stopped is because the actors, you know, Nimoy and, and Delancey, but Delancey especially, they got wrapped up so much in the sales side of right. things. I, he said, if somebody wanted to come in and buy the license and do all of the business, and right. I just come in and I read the part and I perform because I'm an actor, he said, I would be all over that. And I'm sitting here thinking, ah, I yeah. need money. I need money. But it would be so much fun to do something like an Alien Voices because there's so much science fiction and fantasy and horror that's out in the public domain now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, War of the Worlds being one of them, you could do that. But I don't know that you could do War of the Worlds and do it justice because they did a new version. I think NPR did a new version of it. And I want to say Jason Robards was in the cast. Maybe in the mid to late 90s, maybe, early 90s. Okay. And I remember listening to it. I remember thinking it wasn't as good. So one of the things you run into, and, and I think that there are solutions to this, and you, especially when you get into the older radio, um, you get into... One of the things a lot of modern podcasts are, have discovered when they try and do all audio production is that you either have to explain what's going on, which sometimes doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Look, this gun that is in my hand. Yes. Yeah, okay, yes. and there's, there's actually a, um, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a, there's a parody podcast, or not a parody, but it's a, uh, um, somebody did a thing where they're like, this is, avoid these, avoid oh, this, right? Oh, right, right, right. And they did all of these things where it's like, don't do, you know, <laughs> oh no, I have been stabbed, um, you know, <laughs> in the right side by a, a, a knife that is six, mm -hmm. you know, don't do that. But, but there's also a balancing act because sometimes, you know, you have... Sometimes it works to have a narrator who can fill in that difference, right. you know, that those those spaces. It's a, it can be a real challenge, and you have to figure that out, that balance out. And we ran into that when we did the Lone Ranger, mm -hmm. because you know you have you have a narrator in the radio show, mm -hmm. and there's not a narrator in the TV show. Right. So you have to figure out, okay, well, which parts do we actually need the narrator for? And then when we did the the, the Wizard of Oz, we didn't have a narrator. Right. We just we just went through with the full cast and we did through the whole thing. And I think some of that was everybody's familiar enough with it right. you could do. But then you also go through and figure, okay, this is a visual. How do I turn this visual into an audible? And so you, that's one of the tricks with and with it's writing. Not super easy. It's not because you have to do it in a way that feels natural organic and not oh why are you pointing that gun at my head right rothschild you scallywag right you know you can't do that anymore and and with modern productions it's even more of a challenge because n nobody's used to it well and I, I would i would i would challenge that a bit because 10 years ago i would say nobody was used to that right now now it's probably are. and i think that you find an interesting balance of things because you have something like you have something like, uh, um, like the new Sandman podcast, mm. or the Sand, I'm sorry, the new Sandman audiobook, 
the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Simon. Right. This is getting, I mean, I, I loved it. I thought it was an excellent production. James McAvoy plays the lead. It's got an all-star cast. It's a really amazing production. But it's adapting a comic book. And adapting a comic book has its own set of challenges because it's a static image. It's a drawing. It's not a moving picture where you can, you know. So it's, it has a narrator. Uh, and so there's certain amounts where you literally get moments of, he walked into the house, he mm. knocked on the door. You know, you get that sort of stuff. And to some degree, if you do that, find the balance right, it works. Right. But there's, it can be very, very easy it, to go Yeah, it's, it's very. Now, Dirk Maggs is the producer on that one. He's a veteran audio producer. He's not going to let it sound bad. Chris, uh, Christopher in the chat says, Larry Fessenden has directed a great series of original horror and sci-fi radio performances collaborating with Stuart Gordon mm -hmm. and others. It's called Tales from Beyond the Pale. He's a good throwback. So one of the things that, that the, the burst of the, you know, the explosion of the podcast world has meant that we've seen folks who are reviving this kind of storytelling. But like I said, there's a ton of it you can find out there where the original content is out there. Um, on the horror side of things, if you've not... Here, here are some to look for. Escape, which was a series. Yes. Um, supposedly, Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price, is supposed to be one of the scariest... I've never heard of it. Scariest radio horror productions ever. Mm. Now, I cannot speak to whether or not that is, in fact, the case. I have not heard that one myself. Um, but I have heard a ton of Lights Out. Uh, Lights Out is a wonderful show. Um, Lights Out. For, um, I think, for a generation um, who was not familiar with that, you probably might have known it from uh, the Bill Cosby routine mm. and however you feel about about. Cosby, uh, it's still one of the, uh, uh, that routine still evokes an incredible uh, feeling of dread and terror <laughs> as a child. Um, and, and I think that, the, the, I think I heard my first Lights Out episode when I was probably 10 or yeah. 11. So I can speak to that. And of course, they were not, they were not new at that point. I was, you know, these are serious uh, reruns, but at, I was like, ah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now the the Smithsonian I got I I can't remember when I got these they're dated 1994. Uh, the company Radio Spirits did a mm. lot of these collections. Yep. They went back and they compiled all of these 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 historicals basically, and they've collected this. This one's in large nice. part because people did not this stuff the rights on this well, it wasn't stuff on the radio expired. Yeah, uh, this one's got suspense and escape mm -hmm. and dimension X. Uh, the Whistler. I can't remember. It's the was the Whistler a. Uh... So the Whistler, I th want to say, was kind of in the same vein as the original The Shadow. Mm, okay. Yeah. You, you had sort of a, a, a presenter kind of thing where it's like, and here's the story of the man who. Da, 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 you know. <laughs> so this one, uh, the Smith. These collections and they're really good. If you can find them, they're excellent uh, slices of represent representative shows. This one's got the Mercury Theater on the air of the War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. Suspense, Zero Hour, written by Ray Bradbury. Bradbury. Uh, 
lights out the meteor man, X minus one, Mars is heaven, written by Ray Bradbury. Right. Yep. Oh, that's not it. Um, the Time Machine by H.G. Wells for Escape, mm -hmm. the Escape show. Um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Here's Donovan's Brain as part of the suspense program. Dimension X did The Martian Chronicles, written by Ray Bradbury. Um, and then what have I got on this? These are mystery. This is I Love a Mystery. Oh, this is it. This is the thing that cries in the night. Mm -hmm, yeah. This is the one that got me, got me started. And it is an excellent... Uh, an excellent show, and it is uh, Tony Randall and, um, oh, it doesn't say, I can't remember who else is in it, but yeah, it's, it was, it was some really good stuff. Uh, Christopher says, Three Skeleton Key is fantastic, highly recommend, isolated lighthouse and an abandoned ship carrying a dark secret. Mm -hmm. So you can find a lot of this stuff online, and here's, here's some suggestions. Write this down, folks. Theater 1030, um, Nightfall, CBS Radio, Mystery Theater. Mm. Uh, the um, Lights Out, of course, Hall of Fantasy, which was less about fantasies and more about suspense. Right. Um, uh, Black Mass, Beyond Midnight. And a lot of these are, are a mixture of science fiction and... and thriller, thriller, mystery and type stuff. Dark fantasy... Um, the Witch's Tale, Suspense, of course, um, Darkness, Bradbury 13. We, we need to do this. We need to do some of this. Um, and, we need uh, money. Inner Sanctum, of course. Inner yeah. Sanctum. Uh, Bela Lugosi's Mystery House. Ooh. Interestingly enough, starring Bela Lugosi. Uh, Quiet, Please. Um, yeah, and there's, uh, for on the science fiction side of things, I have... I looked up a lot of stuff here. 2000 Plus, which is mutual broadcasting. Right. Uh, Beyond Tomorrow from CBS. Captain Star of Space from 1953. Oh. Which sounds like fun. I, do, I, cannot, I, I have not heard that one. Well, did Rocky Jones Space Rangers start as a radio show? You know, I don't know. I can't remember if it did or not. I know you had a, there was, I think there was a Flash Gordon radio program. CBS Mystery Theater was in the 1970s, so it's oh, it's okay. fairly late in the game. Uh, but fantasy, supernatural, and science fiction, as well as mystery. Mystery was their focus. 147 episodes, so you have a range to play with. You know what one we haven't mentioned yet? Faster than a speeding bullet. So, yeah. Because, interestingly enough, when you look at the Superman radio, radio show, a lot a good portion of the Superman mythology comes from the radio show. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Olsen, right. Perry White. Uh, I want to say Lex Luthor was introduced in the radio show. I, I don't, don't have think that, may not have so, that right. But you, I think he was certainly expanded because one of the things they found was that you, if you were just trying to tell stories that they were being told in the comic, it was harder on radio to do that because you didn't have as many characters. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have someone for Superman to explain things to. No. Margot Lane was created for the ra Shadow Radio Show because... You've got to be able to explain to the companion what's going on. Right, yeah. and, and the cast of the novels wasn't really... You would spend so much time narrating... Mm -hmm. uh, 
And of course, the way these things sort of fed each other, the, the popularity of the radio show drove some of the sale of the comic books. The comic books fed into the radio show. Funny how that works. Well, but it was also a different time because I think <laughs> yeah. that one of the things that you see then is while the radio shows were targeted towards all ages, comic books were pretty much a child's thing. Yeah. But you also got them at the newsstand. There weren't specialty shops for them. They were they were you, you got them at drugstores and, and, and yeah. things. the direct market, uh, the, the the rise of the comic book shop. Um, while certainly it's been a great thing for for folks to be able to find all they want in one spot, um, the sort of narrowing of the market, the fact that we're getting the one of the best things I think that's happened to to comics and, and graphic novels and, and manga over the last decade is that this stuff's ended up back in bookstores. Uh, Christopher says, Quiet, Please, with Ernest Chappell is a great show. The Thing on Forbula Board is a terrifying classic. Forbule? For, 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 I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I have that right. Um, McKenna, there was a controversy that we accidentally kicked off um, I haven't told you about this yet, have I? Um, are you, are I, you aware? I've caught in a little bit on the edges, I guess. Uh, there's, well, there, I guess there's now two TSR games, and part of that is well, okay, the, okay. Your, your interview with, with... My interview with Ernie Gygax the last Wednesday, there are a couple of things that he said that have been pulled out of context and have been used uh, by some who either deliberately misunderstand or they innocently misunderstand, or, or they're being told that he said something he didn't say. And Twitter has blown a gasket over mm. this and have lost their collective minds over this. And Gen Con, which was founded by Ernie's dad, has decided they're going to ban TSR games. See, the only thing that I had heard, and this is uh, because, you know, I stay it, off Twitter so often, it it's wonderful. It ugly. But what I had seen is that there was a copyright issue that had arisen from the, the, the type, the word, the, the, the name TSR. Well, and apparently somebody had the license for there's a, a while. There's a company, there was, yeah, there's a company, uh, a TSR that's been the top secret right, role-playing yeah. game. And they paid, they pay TSR 10 bucks a year or whatever for the permission to use TSR as their thing because TSR originally did top secret. And this guy, Jason, whatever his name is, he went on and continued with top secret when the actual TSR folded and Wizards of the Coast bought Dungeons and Dragons and all these things. And so now there's all of this big hue and cry and hullabaloo about everything. And our video um, is sitting well over 9,000 views, and we have uh, probably, well, this won't tell me an exact number, um, but it's, it's just completely destroyed the gaming community over the weekend. And oh, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, because you and I have talked, and I told you, I said, at one point, somebody was going to decide that we were on a side. Mm 
Now, so far, that hasn't happened. We've gotten lucky. And I have to say, the people that have, putting, that have been putting comments on our video have generally been fairly civil and what? We're over 10,000 now? <laughs> never thought I'd see that. I never thought, uh, out, of, out of all of the videos that we have, the one about D&D &D blows up. It's just crazy. But I'm pleased to hear that they're, they are largely being civil. They are. And, 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 and it's genuine conversation for the most part. Now, you get a couple of bad apples in there every now and again. And I've only had to delete maybe a half a dozen that's just, you know, over the top, right. you know, foul The, the only thing I've really seen, there's a, there's a guy who he is... He is working on it. This is one of the few people I follow on Twitter. Actually, I follow a lot of people on Twitter, the people I pay attention to that uh -huh. I follow. Because in the early days of following people on Twitter, you follow all these different folks. Sure. Now it's just like, okay. And this is a guy getting, he's working on his doctorate in copyright law. Mm. And so he's got fun copyright stories. He'll pop up in some, some copyright thing, he'll talk, and he'll do a little, he goes, I will tune into my PowerPoint explainer. I'm like, <laughs> I like, he's, he's very, he's very right, witty. Right. And, he was like, okay, I'll have to take a look at this at some point. Because I was like, Everybody, he's old enough, he's yeah. old enough to, to play, play D&D when he was younger. So it's right. like, so there's a TSR thing, and he's like, I have to look into this. But I was the only reason I knew there was anything. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that started with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite awesome. by accident. It was completely, it was completely random. And, well, and what happened was uh, Neon at Clownfish TV had posted that he saw the news. Hey, there's a new TSR. We didn't hear about this. And I thought, well, TSR, that's Dungeons & Dragons. I, I played Dungeons & Dragons back in the day. That'd be kind of cool to talk to the guys about it now and see what their plans are, what they're going to do, you know, the games that they've got in development. Because TSR can't do Dungeons & Dragons because Watsy's got it. Right. And so I reached out and I said, you know, well, you know, would Ernie want to come in and just talk about what you guys have planned? And it was perfectly fine until it wasn't. And, uh, and I, I got to say, finding out all of the different places where that video has been posted, places that I knew that never knew existed, and to see not on our comments, but on some of the other discussion threads, especially over on Twitter, the amount of toxicity that has c come with all of this. And we've been very fortunate that it hasn't spilled over onto us yet. I've had some people asking questions like, well, why didn't you ask about this? And why didn't you ask, you know, process questions for us? But for the most part, it was, you know, thanks for doing the interview. It was a great interview. Da, 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 da. Anything directed at us has been fairly positive. We haven't been dragged yet. And the like-to-dislike ratio, we haven't been brigaded yet, as far as I can tell. Um, I think it's running at about two to one uh, likes to dislikes. So, you know, we're, 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 we're holding steady. Likes, 141 okay, 270, 276. 276 likes to 141. So I, we're, we're holding our own. We're doing okay. That's fine. 344 comments. And that's not counting probably some that are probably sitting there waiting for me to, to clear them. It has been nuts. 
this is this is <sighs> it's fascinating like uh like watching a train wreck is fascinating the problem is is that when you're on the train <laughs> I, know, I know, right? Well, when you're the one that stuck the penny on the rail. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, quite by accident, we, we dropped the penny on the rail. It wasn't an it wasn't an intentional thing. I never meant to start anything, but it's see the thing is what they're what they're saying that Ernie said. He's talking about other people talking about each other. And they're taking that as to say, well, Ernie's a transphobe, Ernie's this, that, the other, the company's this garbage, and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's at 17 minutes into the, into the interview. At 52 minutes into the interview, Ernie actually says what he thinks about gaming being for everybody. And nobody's taking that. They're, they're, well, and it's, and welcome, you know, let's pick and choose. Welcome and to the do. wonderful world of... That's um, exactly what it is. This is, this is how... <coughs> and, and we see this... We see this everywhere, which is the, the the fact is is that if there's a way to find a thing to yeah spin your whatever and and, and this it is has all been I uh, on some levels it's kind of cool because we've gained a lot of followers this week you know uh, people have have found us and they we really like your channel hey I, I saw about this I watched this thing and then I watched this other thing and now we're a subscriber and all this it's great uh, you know we're we're we blew past 1700 in about a you know half a day you know I think we're sitting at somewhere around 17 are we 1778 1780 now so you know 2000 it's just around the corner now but just to watch the view count on this thing just keep climbing up and up and up and well, up and up and up. Well, we would hope that people are watching the whole thing and there are enough people out there who are saying, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, here's, here's, you know, the thing that I will always tell you folks is that... <laughs> Genesis, it's only a flesh wound. You can, you can disagree, you can agree or disagree with something, please get the context. Yeah. I mean, so and a lot you, of people are missing that. Well, and I think that, yeah, well, that's welcome to the internet. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I've even put in, you know, because at... I didn't want to feed the trolls very much, but there were a couple of places where I thought, okay, here at this timestamp, here is a direct quote from what Ernie says gaming ought to be. This is him actually saying what he thinks. Um, and of course, it's gotten buried in all of the noise sure. and everything. Well, so, I, you know, I didn't make a huge effort to do that. Negativity, yes, is always going to sell yeah. better. Do we? The entire the entire newspaper model since the dawn of print. <laughs> if it bleeds, it leads. And and this is something that has not gone away. And the internet has only made because internet is. Yeah, yeah. And if you can't, you know, at least when you had a paper come out twice a day, you had several hours where you just had to. You were reading yesterday's news. Uh -huh. <laughs> now it's well, it everything. But it's you know, and and I say you know, on the one hand, it's been it's been kind of cool. It's been gratifying to see the kind of response that you know we've gotten fairly positive response. But on the other hand, it's been horrifying to see just how easily it could just go like that, and sure. and and suddenly there's all this controversy and and. And TSR hasn't done themselves very many favors because they've 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 pushed back probably a little bit more than they should have, and you know like you do well you know it's not exactly sure you you get defensive and you you know right, sure. Ar Arnie didn't say this I don't know where you're getting this and all this other stuff, 
And when you argue on the internet, that just makes things worse. There is a, uh, um, one of the lawyers that I follow on Twitter, who I will occasionally drop in, has got a long-standing thing that basically his response is, just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you, if, if, if you ever find yourself where someone, you find yourself in legal situation, just shut up. Yeah. Shut up yeah. and talk to your lawyer. But, yeah. uh, but, but before you talk to your lawyer, shut up. After you talk to your lawyer, shut up. <laughs> there's, there's, two things, okay. there's two things you've got to remember. And, and I, have, I have seen this now, and I will believe this till the day I die. One, Twitter is not real life. Two, do not feed the trolls. <laughs> Just do not feed the trolls. Mazur says, some of it is luck, but you try more than any channel I know to be impartial. And, that, and that's by design. You know, we, we make an effort here. And, you know, you've got your opinions, I've got mine. And, and, and on certain things, we don't agree. But we can, you know, we can have these conversations and do that. I think, unfortunately, we may have to come back to gaming and discuss controversy because I just saw that... Uh, um, one of the writers for several popular games uh, has run into some accusations and has filed a slap suit in California, which has set off law Twitter because they're like, Oh? Anti-slap laws in California? You picked the wrong place to <laughs> file this lawsuit, dude. And they're, I mean, well, they're, they're, he's, and he's talking about it on Twitter. Yeah. He's been talking and talking, and, and all these lawyers are going, what shut are up, you doing? <laughs> you know, and they're and they're yeah. part of it is is like you're being you're not being bright as a client, but your attorneys are committing malpractice right now because they are not working in your interest because California's anti-slap laws are strict yeah. and hard, and it's like you picked the wrong venue, the wrong attorneys, and none of them are telling you to shut up right now. No. Well, and it's funny because the the timing of this, because when TSR said we're you know we're back, and they just launched their website, and mm -hmm. everybody was talking about all of this stuff, and I was talking to Neon over at Clownfish TV about it, and he, they did a video looking at the the whole blow up, and um, they had an article on pirates and princesses uh, back in I think November. There was some speculation that Hasbro was cleaning house, maybe getting ready to sell Wizards of the Coast. Oh. And as all of this is happening, a couple of articles that were very, very, very favorable to Wizards of the Coast hit over the Internet as well. So not only are we attacking the competition, but we're also, you know, putting some shine on the, the big 800-pound gorilla that's supposed to be the big thing. I personally don't know if Hasbro is actually going to sell Watsy because if they're still trying to make the Dungeons & Dragons movie and if they're... I think it's probably unlikely. Well, it's in development hell. I mean, we've, well, yeah. we've been, you know, they've been talking about it forever. But if, if, they're, if Hasbro is going to do what they've said they're doing with mm. taking all of their franchises, you know, Transformers and Mask and G.I. Joe and all these other things and make this big metaverse, I don't see where they wouldn't try to do something like that with Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, and sure. pull them all together into this thing. But if they sell Wizards of the, of the Coast, then they don't have D&D &D anymore. Unless they sell it to somebody with deep pockets who wants to give them a lot of money for it. 
Funnily enough, <laughs> do you know who was interested in doing a, a Magic the Gathering show back in the, I want to say the early, early aughts, late 90s? Great tell. Disney. Hmm. They had a show pitch and they had artwork and cuts of art. Well, it turns out they had done this pitch as a show. You know, the, the animation department at Disney had, had done this pitch. Right, right. And the network said no. And so they said, okay, well, let's slap a Magic the Gathering label on it and then go pitch it over to Watsy. They didn't change anything about the show. And it didn't have anything to do with Magic the Gathering, but they just figured they could just put Magic the Gathering on it on the on the label and you know file off the sure, file sure, off the, right. the serial number. Like, but to read, there was an article I ran across in Salon over the weekend. It was from I think two thousand one, two thousand two, uh, from a guy named John Tynes who was at Wizards of the Coast at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and he talks about the founding of that company and the corporate environment of the company at the beginning of that. (sighs) Okay. Um, Showtime at night probably couldn't have come up with something this this raucous. Mm -hmm. It was, you know... Orgies in the Orgies in the office type of thing, and you know, the, the, uh, Peter uh, Peter Atkinson, the the founder, and his wife were in an open marriage, so they were hitting on everybody, and they were going off to these parties over the weekend, these weekend retreats, where you just I was like, oh, note, hold note, on. Note that they are not currently running the company. Anymore. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not, and and they learned really quick because there was there was some sort of a there was some sort of a weekend thing. They went off to this camp, and things what happened and when they came back uh the board of directors management people took peter and they said we can't do this again <laughs> don't do this again. they actually docked his pay a month and said time 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 to grow up you see this in gaming companies you see this in some of the video game companies at various points where they th- they're ambitious they're young they're stupid they think they know how they're doing things. They're they the mas- well, ma- was it Masters of the? Isn't, isn't there a? Uh, wasn't there a TV show, Masters of the Universe? I'm not not. I mean, it's the. It, but it was based on. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it, it was on. I think it was so. on business, and it was. And my I actually have been. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. But uh, it might actually have been on computer or something or other. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So that's what happened, and we're still seeing. I don't. I really don't know where this is going to stop. And the best thing you can do at this point, I'm just staying. Keep your mouth shut. Forget it. it. Yeah. I think the like 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 the lawyers say, shut up. Shut up. Well, and and tomorrow uh, on live from the bunker, I I did manage to sit down and and talk with Neon about it for an hour. So he's going to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, And it's not. I'm. I don't have a dog in the fight. I've said this a number of times because I don't play RPGs. I don't play games. But we're we're looking at just how everybody is behaving, and there's the question of why are you all being this way? This is just you know. Well, that, I, so. I, I, the, unfortunately, and we've talked about this before uh, on this show, is the internet is an instant outrage machine. Yes, and it doesn't matter where you fall on any subject left right pro con ex, you know pick pick 
pick a pick a, a a range on the spectrum of an idea. Oranges are better than bananas, and 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 you can there order they it. Go. And and quite frankly, some of the best Twitter flame wars are from folks who are deliberately mocking Twitter flame wars because they're very entertaining. Yeah. But <laughs> unfortunately, the mockery comes from something that's all too real. And just a reminder, folks. Twitter isn't real life. No, it's not. Thank and quite goodness. frankly, considering the attention span of the average internet user mm -hmm. right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm not excusing myself at it, I'm, not, I'm including myself in this too. Right. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not claiming any high horse here. Um, the, the fact is, is that it's really, really easy to get caught up, and if you're not looking at the big picture, and I haven't, I, I haven't listened to that episode, so I cannot speak to whether or not I would agree or disagree or anything. I'm just, yeah. you know, but the thing is, is that um, tomorrow when you get up in the morning, the impact of that on your actual <laughs> life is probably not going to be very big. And yeah. if you're upset about something online, okay, that's fine. Be upset about the thing online, but don't make it your life. <laughs> don't, I mean, just, I mean, it, you're not going to, well, you're not, I was in therapy for four years, kids. Yeah. It, don't well, and don't the make other, yourself miserable. The other part of that, and we'll, and we'll wrap up on this because we're, we're past our hour, but uh, the other part of this is there was an article on Inverse not too long ago that was talking about the controversy when, when Gina Carano got fired and they were looking at some of the Twitter accounts that had driven all of that, you know, fire Gina Carano type thing. And as it turns out, funnily enough, surprise, surprise, a majority of these people that are in, in these flame war modes, especially, mm. they're 15 to 17 years old. Mm. They're teenagers. Sure. And they've got no self-control. And they're part of that generation that's wired in, instant gratification, me, 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 now, 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 all of that. Folks, walk away from the social media stuff. I mean, we have, we have all these social media accounts so we can tell people about our shows. But walk away from the social media. Just, just do away with Twitter. Do away with Facebook. Do away with all of it because it will come to no good. If you're there purely for entertainment purposes, that may work out for you, but don't treat it like it's... I mean, hey, there's a lot of great information you can get from, from the Internet, but you know what? There are there's encyclopedias. A, there's a <laughs> lot that is just yeah. not necessary. So that's the controversy that, that we kicked off. I, I, I don't want to claim it but I think it was just, you know, just one of those things, wrong place at the wrong time, I guess. You know, I was just having a conversation. But anyway, all right. So that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much. Listen to old-time radio. Here. Listen to old-time radio, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, there's a number of places where you can find that stuff. Oh, and yeah. if you run across any that you want to share, uh, you can leave us a Please. comment. Uh, send us an email, h2o at sci if you would like to help us uh, produce some of this stuff, uh, we do have a Subscribestar account, which uh, you can um, you know, uh, hit the, the but Somehow we got a, a button there. All right, so we have a Subscribestar account. 
We also have a PayPal account. The links are in the, the description on the, on the video, uh, so you can help us out that way. If you're so inclined, if not, no big deal. No, there's no, no obligation. We won't turn you away just because you don't give us anything. Um, I am thinking about when we hit 2,000, mm. maybe opening up memberships. But that's something we're still we're still noodle, I'm still noodling that because it would involve some different things on the tech side of things. So anyway, all right. So in the meantime, check out the rest of the the shows that we've got here. Uh, if you are a new subscriber, we are glad you're here. We hope you stick around because there's a lot of stuff that we do here. Um, if you have not subscribed yet, we do invite you to uh, to try us out for a while. Have your notifications turned on because we're on a regular schedule. Uh, which you can find pretty much at the top of all of our social media. You can see where the shows go. And, uh, you know, jump in the chat and leave us your thoughts and tell us what you think, and we'll do it all again. That's right. All right, we will be back next week. Thanks for being here, everyone. Good night. Good night. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 